0: specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What if you had a superpower you didn't realize you had, a superpower that had the potential to change things from bad to good, Karen Amlin would tell you that superpower is your ability to make choices. Karen knows the power of making choices firsthand, which she describes in her TED Talk centered on the tragic loss of her husband and instantly becoming a single mother, changing her life forever. An experience that eventually springboarded her into a career of helping others make life beautiful and the mess. Stop and shift is a critical component that Karen describes in detail that helps to allow people to put their arms around the challenges of life. The ability to make choices, that superpower, deciding how we choose to engage can help lead us to exponential growth. Karen points out that your mindset is a key driver to helping you take charge to create the change you want in your life. Life presents us with ample opportunities to practice making choices to change our lives and our mindsets. Opportunities that allow us to keep showing up and doing the work. Please enjoy my conversation with Karen Allen. So, Karen Allen, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. It's going to be so good.
1: I know. I, I know that we had some uh, scheduling uh, difficulties and uh, before the end of 21, I guess. And, and now it's 22 and, and glad to have you on. And uh, this has been a long conversation coming.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what life looks like. Right. I mean, (laughs) we're here to talk about life and it's like, yep, that's why it took us so long to get together. Life.
1: (laughs) Well, as, as we go through, like when I'm, when I'm going through a conversation with somebody, I start thinking about, okay, how, what's the title of this episode going to be? And when I go to your website, you have this phrase, make life beautiful in the mess. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be the title of this, of this episode. (laughs) Sounds about right, because that's how I live. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know you, I'll, I'll have you go into your background, but I'll just first say that I met you through um, the XYPN network that I'm a part of, which is this group of... Um, advisors throughout the country that no one really knows about that we belong to this group except if you're in the group, and you were flagged as one of our keynote speakers. I'm like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig around on this Karen Allen lady and, and find out a little bit more Who about you, girl. <laughs> yeah, and then I watched your TED talk. I'm like, oh man, I've I've got to have this. I've got to have Karen on and talk about what you do, your story, um, and really when I look at your body of work, it's about mindsets and that's going to be probably like the theme, if you will, of, of our conversation. So um, I'm going to start, stop talking and turn it over to you now.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. You know, the reason that I even had to put that phrase on the forefront of my website is um, I am a naturally positive person, but I'm also a very grounded person in recognizing that life is real and it's hard and it's messy and being positive, you know, it doesn't always make things better, but I've just found that being negative always makes things worse. And so when I choose how I'm going to show up and yes, I've had my own trials and I've had a lot of trials and a lot of trauma. Um, I recognize that we still have this superpower inside of us, which is the power of choice, which goes back to the mindset. And so I'll give the backstory. So your audience is, you know, at least knows why I'm so obsessed with this conversation. It'll make sense, trust me. <laughs> but it did start, as I mentioned, from a very devastating life experience. And before I jump into that, let me just say that we all go through different. Trials, we go through different hardships, right? And experience challenges. And regardless, before you even hear my story, just keep this in mind because it is a heavy story. It doesn't matter what the hardship is, the pain is the same for all of us. So sometimes when people hear my story, they're like, oh my gosh, that is so traumatic. And it is. But just like picture yourself in the midst of experiencing something painful and know that this will work for you too. So my story does start. actually becoming a young widow before I was 30 years old, which is absolutely crazy to even think about. But my husband was a CrossFit owner. He had just opened his box and we were only six months into it. Uh, I was actually a recruiter while he was running the gym. I was working for a national home builder. And so I had to do some interviews from home one day. And that was the day, that was the night that everything changed in my life because while I was home doing interviews, um, my husband was at the gym doing his final class of the evening. It was around a six thirty class. And on my interview, I got a call from one of our gym members. She was screaming. She was frantic. I didn't know what happened. I thought maybe, you know, Richard fell and bumped his head or something, but I ended up finding out that somebody walked into the gym while he was teaching his CrossFit class and they shot him and he died instantly. And, It's one of those stories where it's like, even though I was living it, like even that night, sitting there in the parking lot, getting that news, seeing the pandemonium around me, you know, the first responders and news vans, it still was unfathomable. I mean, years later, eight years later, I have to tell this story and my keynotes. I choose to tell this story, I should say, to give people an understanding of the power of rewiring your brain. But even eight years later, whenever I have to share the story, it still seems unbelievable. But I'm sure that wherever you are in your journey, you've gone through something that also has seemed unbelievable, right? Whether you lose your job, maybe get a diagnosis, maybe your child gets a diagnosis that you're unprepared for, right? We all go through these life experiences, but... I say this and it sounds like it happened like from one hop to the next. I didn't go from trauma to healing right away. Right? Like, <laughs> but what I found in my healing journey, which uh, is an evolution for anybody who is on that journey, what I found in my healing journey is whenever you want to take charge of your life or make a change or you know, take a bold move or even take a risk, your response to life has everything to do with your mindset. Everything because I was in an indescribable situation, a trauma that most people couldn't fathom. But I found my way through by harnessing the power of my mindset and choosing how I was going to engage with that pain and how that experience was going to shape my life and my son's life. So that's where this all starts. And then we can get into any questions that you have about what <laughs> the growth and the healing afterwards.
1: I guess the first question I have is, I know that you've told the story a lot. Does it ever change for you? Does it does it ever um, become more emotional or less emotional, or is it is it just part of your life that that you explain?
2: I've had moments where I've given this keynote and I actually get. Teary-eyed and emotional, and I can feel my grief kind of like coming up into my throat, and I just have to take a breath and I have to breathe through it. And then other times, I can just tell the story, and I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's based on the day. I don't know if it's based on my emotional state, but I will say this: Grief is one of those things that like you never move on from it. You just don't. You don't get over it. Um, you move your life forward, but you learn how to manage the grief in your life. You don't get over it. You just learn how to manage it. So I think that that's, that's the space where I come from when I do have to tell the story. And because I know like my husband was in the business of, uh, physical training because he loved impacting people's lives. So me sharing this story really focused on the growth and not the grief part. For me, I hope that also honors his life. And I know because of who he was, that sharing the growth part of the journey is like an extension of the way that he was looking to empower people. So for me, it also feels like a way of honoring, honoring him.
1: That's well said. Because when whenever I go back and I rewatch your your TED talk, I, it just amazes me like how you're so composed and how you keep you keep it together um, in such a, a difficult situation. And well, I'll give you a quick
2: behind the scenes. I walked off that stage and I cried and I was so sad and I was angry because I Caleb was waiting for me off stage. I have this picture of him watching me from the backstage. Someone took.
1: And how old and, uh, he, How old would Caleb have been then?
2: Um, he was six, Okay, he was six. And, uh, and I remember feeling overwhelmed with emotion of anger because I was like, if Rich was here, then none of this would be happening. And I would rather him be here than giving this stupid Ted talk. I got over that and I found appreciation and the opportunity to share my story and it has impacted so many, but honestly, Paul, I walked off that stage and I was crying because it just reminded me of the most devastating thing that I had experienced in my life.
1: And, and that's why I asked the question. It's like, because I, I, I know you're, you're asked to tell that story over and over and over again. And to I don't, I don't have no idea how I would be, but I just, it just seems like it would be very hard. And I guess that goes back to the center of who Karen Allen is with this mindset and how you choose to go beyond that rather than focus on the grief or the negativity.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, this is a big moment. That's a big milestone in my life. But everybody has these moments where you're like, okay, hold on. How am I going to show up? How do I need to show up? Like what is most important in this moment, putting all my stuff aside, putting other things, you know, whether it's outside situations or circumstances or inner feelings or whatever it is, like, what do I need to maybe just put to the side even for a moment so I can stand in this space fully composed and calm to do what I need to do, right? And hopefully whatever you're deciding to do is to benefit not just yourself, but also others. And again, when I think about it from that aspect, I had to, and this was early on, but I really did have to come to terms with, Karen, you telling the story of your growth does start from this painful place. And so I went through a lot of work to be able to share my pain from a place of strength.
1: And before we had hit record, we were kind of having a side conversation about, you know, the podcast and what it is. And the one thing I didn't describe to you is that I work with a lot of people in transition, probably similar to you. And I think I was having this conversation with a previous podcast guest, um, uh, Jolene Godfrey on raising financially fit kids. And we were talking about how, or I was emphasizing to her on how People do not realize how many life transitions they actually have in going through them. Like you think of like something like yours, going through grief, a loss, having a baby, getting married. One that I work with or find a lot is people in career transitions, which yes. is another um, emotional mess that could have financial ties to it that you know affects you know relationship with spouse with kids, Mm -hmm. partners. Um, And so, that's why, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is to talk about the work that you do and how you've gone from, you know, this period of grief to this mindset shift change. And Mm -hmm. and we've had others on talk about mindset. And I don't think that you can ever talk about it enough because it's one (laughs) of those things where I feel it's developmental. Like there's, there's building blocks of it. You don't go, like in your case, from grieving to happy overnight. It's it's a process and a journey.
2: It is, it is. I try and tell people, it's not like a light switch, right? It's like a dimmer. You slowly <laughs> turn that on and, you, and things become more clear and they become brighter as you immerse yourself into this work. But you're right. So many transitions can, I, I try and tell people like, The growth I experienced did come from a hard place, but you don't have to go through something hard to experience growth. You can just choose to do that. Now, in the transitions, you will find that those are opportunities. Honestly, they are launching pads for growth. We're in a huge transition right now in our world going through this pandemic. People are going through transitions like because of the pandemic. People are going through transitions, whether it's moving, whether it's changing jobs, I mean, even relationships, I saw this not so funny article, but it was like therapists. Like they were like, oh yeah, business is booming right now because you can't be distracted by all the things that used to take up our time. You're going to find out if you really love that person, if you really want to be in relation with that person. Right. So a ton of transitions are happening during this time, which is why I emphasize to folks this time is so unique. This moment in history is so unique because we are going through collective grief. See, one of the biggest myths around grief is that it only pertains to a death. And that is so not true. Grief happens when you expect things to be different or better or more. And I heard that somewhere. Like Grief is when you expect things to be different, better or more, and they don't turn out that way. So any loss, any change, again, any life experience can start to bring up those feelings of grief. And because the world is experiencing that at the same time right now, we are collectively going through grief and experiencing grief. And hopefully if one of the, You know, few good things that come out of this time is that it deepens our connection to one another because we can recognize that pain, we can empathize with that pain. Then I would say at least that's something good that came out of this.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point because that's one thing I try to keep in perspective with this um, pandemic from the very beginning and back in March of 2020, where you know, I'd watch the, you know, national news and there'd be like hour-long. Uh, lines, you know, cars waiting for food. And then you had other people that were in an industry or a business that was completely booming because of it and talk about a tale of, of two sides. Um, But I, I really like how you describe, you know, grief, which is any type of loss. I, I didn't think about it in, in that kind of context.
2: Absolutely. I mean, think empty nesters right? That change of not having kids in your home and having to be responsible for everything that they need. And now all of a sudden having, you know, an abundance of time on your hand and figuring out what do you like, or how do you want to spend your time? Like there are a lot of parents who go through and experience grief when they become an empty nester. It's just, it's a human experience and we need to normalize it and we need to have more conversations around it so we can really not just be there for one another but we can also not feel shame when we go through something you know that that brings up grief
1: so let's go back to your specific situation and as you're going through this traumatic event how did you how did you start setting course on how, how and where you got to today with the work that you do and working with people in mindset shift. Like yes. walk us back that far.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur, but after Richard died, it was a year from hell. I lost so many things. And the last straw was losing my job. Exactly a year later, I lost my job. I was devastated. I felt like a complete loser, right? I was beating myself up. The negative self-talk was really, really, really loud. But in that moment, as I was bawling my eyes out in my car, you know, I thought to myself, I said, okay, I could either go find another job, get the benefits, stable paycheck. I mean, I'm a single mom. Of course, that would be the practical thing to do. Or I could become an entrepreneur." So that I can have the freedom and flexibility to always put Caleb first, because what's really most important for me at that time and now is him. I'm the only parent he's got. So I need to be there for everything. Every birthday party at school, every call from the nurse, I need to be there. And honestly, corporate America is not very flexible or kind to single parents. Maybe that's changed. I hope it has. Um, But at the time, like, no, that wasn't going to happen. So I didn't know what this was going to look like, but I knew at the very beginning, I felt this deep desire to help others. And I thought that it initially would be, you know, like in their pain. But again, as I was evolving, the vision would evolve. And my mom asked me a very similar question to what you just asked. She said, Karen, what was, and this might've been I don't know. I think that this might've been right before the TED talk, So maybe about five years after Richard died. So she said, what was the first thing that you did to start on this healing journey? And I didn't have a name for it. I I didn't know how to describe it, but uh, I just told her after a few minutes of thinking about it, I said, well, I think that I, I took control of my mindset because I knew that I could either focus on the pain. I could focus on the monster and that was making me feel terrible or I could focus on my healing. I could focus on, like, it was almost like I could take my eyes off of that one thing and put it on another. And it was going to be a choice. Like I was either going to stay immersed in the pain or I was going to choose and take responsibility for my healing. Now, again, I didn't think about that until she asked me that question. I I didn't, I had never reflected to figure out what did I do? And then that's when I meditated and I put this whole story in my new upcoming book, stop and shift. But I explained, like I was on the ground and I was praying, and I was meditating and I was like, what is this thing that I've been doing? Like, how have I been doing it? And I could visualize myself um, walking through what was one of the hardest thoughts that replayed in my mind, which is how Richard died because I wasn't there. So I was like, you know, was he afraid? Was he hurt? Like, was he suffering at all? Like I would go through all this and I could feel like the anger and the sadness and the weight of those emotions consume me. But then when I would shift again, like it felt like I was like shifting my eyes, I would look to say, okay, but like what can I do right now in the moment? So there's a lot that you go through in each of these shifts, but it was, it was that moment when my mom asked me, and when I was on the ground and I meditated and I visualized what I had been doing in my brain to get to this point where I actually felt healthy and I felt whole again, it was that it was stop and shift. It was in every little moment, man. It was in the early moments of like, am I going to be bitter or am I going to you know, try to take care of myself today? It'd be little things like that. Or you know, am I going to be stuck in the fact that they fired me? Or am I going to choose what my next step is going to be? Am I going to take responsibility for my life and my career and how I want to be as a mom and a professional? And so every time I did that, what I didn't know, Paul, and this is why I geek out over it, and I'm super obsessed with telling everybody, what I didn't know that I had been doing for four or five years up to that point was literally rewiring my brain. I was using neuroplasticity to change my mind from being that that's very gloomy and dark and, and rightfully so. I mean, you heard my story. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I gave up, nobody would you know, have judged me for right. it. Yep. But I didn't want that. And you know what's funny? I didn't, it's not like I didn't want that to be my story. I didn't want that to be my son's story. I didn't want his story to be that he lost both parents because I didn't try because I didn't get back up. Cause I chose to just give up like, no. So every little decision, every little choice that seems menial, actually changed my brain structurally and chemically. I really want to get my brain scanned, (laughs) but it wouldn't be helpful because I don't know what it looked like before the tragedy. But I started to study um, neuroscience. I started to study positive psychology and mindfulness. And in doing so, I recognized that that little shift or a lot of little shifts, that's what helped me to really embrace my healing, step fully into my growth and create the life that I'm living today.
1: So that's actually where I was going next because you note like this, these small actions that help you, you know, change your mindset. So when you're going through this, were you, it's like this whole like conscious subconscious thing going on. And so were you aware of you know what you were reading and, 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 and learning about as far as neuroplastic, neuroplasticity Mm-hmm. and positive psychology. How was that all like melting together for you?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I'm going to explain it. I'm going to explain <laughs> it. So I didn't know. I, I really have to think back of when these two overlapped, but my sister sent me a book. Um, it's called Option B by Cheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. And Cheryl Sandberg had lost her husband suddenly. Mm-hmm. He was like running on the treadmill or something while they were on vacation. And so completely out of the blue and she was friends with Adam Grant. So maybe a year after all this, and she had gone through a lot, they collaborated to explain. And really, I think they were trying to create some sort of um, guideline for people on like how you can manage grief in the workplace, which again was very timely, which is why my sister sent it to me. Um, but what I found was this term and it's called post-traumatic growth. Now we know post-traumatic stress disorder, right? PTSD. That's the terrible part. That's like, if you went off to war and you right. still have visions or like, for me, I experienced that after losing rich, but post-traumatic growth, I was like, wait, hold on. What is this? Because as I was choosing my healing and as I was, you know, choosing, to create even healthy boundaries to protect my inner peace. There was always this underlying guilt that was there. It was almost like I didn't deserve to be happy or I shouldn't. And I don't know where that came from, right? I don't know what that was, but intuitively I was fighting against that to say like, no. And I know where that fight came from. It was again for Caleb, right? I didn't want this to be his story, but more so it was, it was, it was like, I wanted I wanted to grow from it. I didn't just want the pain to be the end of the story. Intuitively, I wanted to take that thing and come out better. But I felt bad because of that. Like that, it it was weird, man. It was this trippy thing where I was feeling guilty. So when I read this passage and it says post-traumatic growth is um, basically the desire to come out on the other side better because of the thing that you went through. I read that and it gave me permission to really step fully into my growth and to allow those hard things. Like You can use your troubles to become better. There should be no shame with that. So it helped me to overcome those limiting beliefs and that negative self-talk. But it caused me to dive deeper into, well, if there's a name to this thing that I've been feeling, there's got to be more behind this, right? Post-traumatic growth um, is really found in in, uh, positive psychology. So as I dove into positive psychology, that's what opened the door to learning more about neuroscience and neuroplasticity. And so- I said this to my therapist one time. I said, sometimes I feel guilty for being positive in such a broken and crazy and terrible world. And he said, Karen, the noise is so loud. loud. Excuse me. The negativity is so loud. Amplify the positive. Like it is okay for you to do that. And because I did immerse myself in the science, I feel more confident being positive about it because the science shows us that an optimistic belief system that we cultivate inside can absolutely 1000% change everything that your life touches. And so once I had the science that backed what I was like kind of doing innately, it was like, no, you, nobody is going to be able to tell me anything else. <laughs> I'm just shouting this from the rooftop.
1: <laughs> so how do you, how did you take that and turn it into this hundred percent human movement?
2: <laughs> yes. When I think about grief
1: first. And you should probably explain what that, what that, what you mean by that too, which is, which is your firm.
2: Yes. Yes. So when I think about grief, I think about how, how quiet and isolated, um, isolating it felt. And I really felt alone when I was going through my grief and I felt like we need to normalize this conversation because this is just a part of life, right? Loss is a part of life. I mean, it just like. There's no reason anybody should feel shamed t- towards their grief or they can't talk to people or they don't have access to resources or whatever. And so as I started to talk more about my grief is when my eyes became open to, again, the various ways that grief could come into someone's life. Like My dad, for example, has a neurological disease that he uh, first discovered when he was in his late thirties and it like, he couldn't do his, um, he had to retire from the air force because he couldn't do his job because it was affecting his voice and he couldn't like project his voice. It impacted his mobility, but any, the loss of his career, right. He grieved that, but I didn't recognize it until I went through my own grief. So when I started seeing those stories of, of grief in other people's lives, And how I connected to it so much, I thought to myself, like, why are we isolating ourselves with this? Like, we should be talking about this because this is what it is like to be human. So, to be 100% human is not just you know, trying to create this problem-free perfect life. It's about like putting your arms around everything, including the mess, being open about it, sharing it with one another. Like we, when we do that, we help to fuel hope in other people's lives. We help to inspire them to let them know that like, you're not alone. I have been through something too. So when you use methods like stop and shift, that's one of like, so many exercises or strategies out there that you could use like to cultivate mindfulness, to rewire your brain. But the whole point of that is to let go of these ridiculous societal norms that we're supposed to have everything together, that life is going to be easy, that if you marry the right person, get the right job, have two and a half kids, a dog and a cat, that your life is going to be great. Like, no, that's not what it's going to be because to be human is to have messy, complex emotions right it's to it's to try to figure things out but to fail along the way and if you can grow through those things if you can embrace those things instead of like feeling tension and being mad that you're experiencing it that is how you unlock the fullness of life because it literally is about how you interact with these things so if you apply stop and shift if you acknowledge like what's going on inside inside and also around you. And if you align yourself with who you want to be, that's the shift. That is how you become 100% human because you're embracing all that life has
1: to offer. And you do that, that I'm, I'm trying to think of like an example and the only one that can come in my mind, which I'm pretty open about on this show, by the way, um, is when I'm yelling at my kids, which I absolutely hate. Oh. I absolutely hate yelling at my kids, whether they deserve it or not. You know, Mm -hmm. I just, I just, it doesn't make them feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. And talking to my own therapist about this, Mm -hmm. I think maybe we're onto this something here where, where I should recognize what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And this whole stop and shift is first is recognition, which I do, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. the hardest part for me is to stop, even though I know I should stop.
2: (laughs) Oh, okay. Hold on. So let's talk about this then, Paul. I was going
1: to say, is, is, is this... Okay. We're to something okay. here.
2: Okay. So as soon as you notice that you're about to lose it, right? And honestly, parenting is the best example. Like I love using parenting because <laughs> it's true. It's true. So you start to notice that you're becoming irritated. You're losing your patience. The stop is actually the pause. We quickly react, don't we? Why are you doing oh. this? Or why don't you go to it? Right.
1: Yeah. I'm horrible at that. Like I, (laughs) no, i was just going (laughs) to say like, some people like ask me like, well, are you like, you don't react like this? Like when the markets are going, you know, a bleep. Right. I'm like, no, like the market could be down a thousand points and I'm as cool as a cumber, cucumber. But like with my kids, it's just the opposite. Like Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. very reactive, very uh, over emotional, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the reason why is because honestly, like we, first of all, first and foremost, we want to protect our kids. And so, um, we sometimes even want to protect them from themselves. <laughs> they just do really stupid things. Because or they don't, right. Right. Cause they're kids and their brain isn't even fully developed. Right. So they could do something that is like completely, you know, normal and for a kid, but it, it, It frustrates us because from this new perspective of an adult, we see how that's not helpful in the grand scheme of things, or even in the moment that we're in. So we just lose it instead of pausing, stopping, taking a moment. And this is what mindfulness does. This is why stop and shift is like a fusion. We'll say of mindfulness, positive psychology and neuroscience is mindfulness gives you the opportunity to create more space in your brain. Instead of being so intertwined in your emotions of impatience or anger or frustration, you can actually step away from them a little bit and notice that you're frustrated and notice that you're about to flip your lid and stop and take a beat before you lean into that emotion, bring yourself back and choose what would be a better. And the shift is the key here is You have to shift yourself to a positive, productive step forward is yelling at our kids. Positive. No. Is it productive? No, no. Sometimes just being quiet for a moment is the most productive thing we can do. So in the moment when we're about to lose ourselves, and I have a really great example of this. I tell it all the time. It's when Caleb was brushing his teeth. Well, he was supposed to be brushing his teeth. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a point of a lot of arguments, just getting them to brush their teeth.
2: Here we go. Oh, you're going to love this one then. So I don't know. He might've been like six years old when this happened, maybe six or seven. And I was like, Hey bud, go ahead, and brush your teeth. I'm going to finish wrapping some things up so we can get out of the door. And we're on our way to school. And he goes into the bathroom. I walk by and he's literally using his toothbrush to sword fight the water. So I'm like, uh, I need you to brush your teeth. Let's go, right? I walk by again after doing something else. He is still sword fighting the water.
1: So I would have been yelling at this point.
2: (laughs) Right? So that's the thing is I could feel it. I could feel it coming up. Caleb, so, I, so I said, Caleb, come on, man. I told you, like, let's go. I go to do whatever the last thing is because I remember walking by three times. And on the third time, when I came back, this kid is still sword fighting the water. <laughs> so I scream, I'm like, Caleb, I told you we got to get. And I'm like screaming, but I can hear the screaming in my head before it comes out of my mouth. When I hear the screaming in my head, I ask myself, Karen, is that really how you want to start his day? I mean, really, do you want that to be the voice in his head for the rest of the day? Because he was what? Using his imagination. It was one of those moments where it's like, you know how sometimes you you say to your kids, like, really, really, (laughs) that's what you chose to do. Like, that's what I had to do for myself. I was like, seriously, Karen, that's what you, and instead I was like, Hey, Caleb, I've told you three times now I do need you to focus. Right. I still was like. Uh, you know uh, firm in what I need to say instead of overreacting. And so the word about the fun word with this is called metacognition, it's think about what you're thinking about, right? Like just take a moment to think about that before you jump off of the deep end. And the pause is actually called cognitive diffusion because you just take a moment to, and this is where I'm going to get really nerdy. <laughs> When we're flying off the deep end, it's because literally our brain has shut down the part of the brain that thinks through decisions, that you know, is like calm that can think logically. And that's the prefrontal cortex. I was going to say that's the
1: prefrontal cortex, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: But because we're so angry, our stress levels have gone up, which fires off a chemical, which is called cortisol and cortisol disengages the prefrontal cortex. So when we get stressed, our biology is actually working against us. That's why we have so many emotional reactions. So the key is because those emotional reactions are coming from the right side of your brain, The left side of your brain is more logical. You have to re-engage the logic so that you can calm the emotion. And this is part of positive psychology. This actually helps you to build your resilience. So when you notice that wave of emotion coming up, pausing, you do actually have to practice that. You literally have to practice taking a beat. And so once you notice the big emotions coming up, then logically you need to talk yourself back down or you need to say, hey, this is getting really frustrating. Like depends on the scenario, right? But you use logic to balance your emotion and that's how you re-engage the prefrontal cortex.
1: I'd be fully transparent with you. I did not anticipate getting into this part of the conversation (laughs) with you, but this is incredible. I I am like learning so much. So my question is, how do you practice like this whole, like people throw the term around mindfulness Mm -hmm. and I don't know if people really know what that means. Is it like meditation? Is it something Mm. else? But so how do, how do we, how do you answer that? But then like, how do you get back to, I want to know, like, how do I practice this? Karen? (laughs) I need to practice. So
2: First I'll answer what is mindfulness and then I'll tell you how to practice. So mindfulness is the practice of being present. People usually think that's just meditation because in meditation, that's basically what they're telling you is like, just focus on your breathing to be present, but you could take a mindful walk and you can focus on like your senses. And that is practicing mindfulness. Uh, you could draw and just by enjoying and letting your mind wander, that is mindfulness. So it's just about being present. And, and that's really important because so many times, like when we get annoyed at our kids, it's usually because we're seeing something that they're doing that we don't want them to take into the future. So we're trying to nip it in the bud right now. We're trying to make sure they do it right, right now. Right. But we're thinking about the future that hasn't even happened yet. Like that's not even, (laughs) that's a false place. So present being present gives you the power to show up as you want to mind. Meditation is a great way to practice it. Again, mindful walk, even mindful eating. I just started uh almost finished with this. This really on on uh, calm, which is an app, this yes. really great 30-day program with Jeff Warren about uh meditation. It is so good. I highly recommend it to anybody who is breaking into this. Like, please, he is so chill and down to earth. Like, you don't feel like you're going to like this like zen experience with all these monks around you and you have to have it perfect. Like, no, he's like literally walking you through it. It's so good. What is his name again? His name is Jeff Warren. Okay. Jeff Warren on the Calm app. And it's like 30 days to mindfulness or something, or 30 days of meditation. So good. Now, so that's what mindfulness, it's about being present. So then to answer your question about how do you practice? You practice nonstop in every single moment of life. When you get irritated, when, you know, something, uh, say you ask your kids to do a chore and they don't do it, practice it then. Are you on your way to a meeting and you're running late? practice it then. Don't get overly annoyed. Just be present in the moment. You know, anything, literally every single moment of every day is an opportunity to practice shifting yourself into alignment with the person who you want to be.
1: I was, you, you could I, see me smiling because I was just going to say, like, do you know how many opportunities my kids give me? That's what I said.
2: <laughs> you should be an Olympic athlete in the sport of mindfulness as much oh, as we God. practice this. <laughs> But here's the thing, you know, it's really, really hard to measure internal growth. And so like when you're practicing this, you, you our brain is a muscle, basically, like you're strengthening your brain, but you can't always see the progress in the same way. Like if somebody went to the gym and they were working now, you could see those muscles start to develop. Right. Right. So I want to just encourage people that know that every single moment, even when you're meditating and your, your mind starts to wander and you pull yourself back, even that is good for you. Like that is progress. That is effort that contributes to your growth. So when you feel like, oh man, like, I don't really know if this is working. I don't know if this is happening. I just snapped at my kid again. This is how you measure growth. At least this is what I tell my clients. (laughs) And it seems to have been working for all of us so far. Use every opportunity that you can to practice and know that same way. If you were shooting a basketball, you're not going to make all the shots, right? You're going to miss sometimes, but that doesn't mean that your form isn't getting better. Your form is getting better every time you keep shooting that shot. So keep showing up, keep doing it, keep getting in that rhythm because you will be able to see your growth when you notice that you can shift yourself into alignment quicker, So it may take you like, okay, I snapped at my kid and I I totally lost it. But like, did you go back and apologize and like recognize that? Hey man, I probably went too far. Sorry. I yelled at you. This was my frustration. I want to explain it to you. If it takes you, if you never go back and do that, then you know, okay, that's an opportunity for growth. I should go back and apologize. Then maybe you feel uncomfortable. It takes you three or four days. Then maybe only takes you a day. Then maybe it only takes you a couple of hours. Then maybe... You do it and immediately you say, I'm sorry, like, just give me a second to reset. I will come back to this conversation. And then you get to the point where you can go through all of that internally. That's how you measure your growth is that every single time that you have to shift yourself into alignment, it takes less and less time for you to get
1: there this has been utterly amazing. Like I said, I I, I didn't know like where this conversation was going to go, but I am so glad Karen that it went here because I mean, I don't know about the audience, but this, 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 episodes worth a million dollars to me for sure. (laughs) Oh,
2: good. Good. Listen, I'm learning and growing along the way. Like I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm perfect in it. I'm telling you this because I'm practicing it. Like I use this, you know, like, so feel, feel hopeful.
1: (laughs) So I know I only have before a finite period of time and I've got two questions I got to get to. So the, the, the first one is what do you talk about your, your firm hundred percent human, like talk about like what you do for people now.
2: Yeah. So it's a couple of things and this is also evolving. Um,
1: I'm sure it's just a good example. is probably like what you just did for me.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. So the first, first and foremost, I am a speaker. So I go into organizations to their, you know, retreats or their company events as I did for, uh, XY planning. And, uh, I give them a message that honestly right now is just so timely because stop and shift is about building your uh, resilience, building the awareness of what's going on around you and inside of you so you can show up as your best. So that's the first thing is I inspire audiences with this message, stop and shift. I also work with CEOs um, because the CEOs that I work with, they are interested in personal growth. Because it know they know that it directly impacts their professional well-being, right? how they show up as a boss, how what direction they're taking the company, what kind of culture are they creating. So I love working with CEOs and, and just helping them to become more mindful and and take accountability for their personal growth. And then the last way that I work with companies is by coming in as a consultant and helping to look at their culture, you know what are some things that, maybe don't fit in the time that we're in right now, uh, or maybe we need to let go of because they're way outdated, like those outdated bereavement policies. <laughs> just saying, two to three days yeah. is ridiculous. Folks. Ridiculous. Uh, so I, I come in and I consult with organizations and just help them to create a more human-centric workplace. And really that's what it's about, you know, helping people to step fully into their power and their authenticity um, and helping organizations to create these workplaces where their people can thrive. Like that right there it just, it fills my heart with so much joy.
1: And you, you, I mean, I'm looking at you, but hopefully everybody can tell in the sound of your voice, like how meaningful this is to you, which is, I mean, it's what drew me to you. And I got to have, I have to have this conversation with, with Karen. Um, So what's the, what's the best place for people to find you?
2: hop to my website, come over to the website. It's actually where I'll be announcing the the book release. Look, I'll show you. I know that the audience won't be able to see this, but look, I have a
1: copy in my hand. That's good. That is good stuff
2: final edits are getting to the publisher at the end of this month. And so it will be out the beginning of the fall. Uh, But come over to my website because we can connect there, whether you're looking for a speaker um, or if you're looking for resources as an individual, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is called Joy Bombs. I'm just giving you little ideas that lead to big changes. And it all has to do with mindfulness and personal growth.
1: Joy bombs. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and we'll we'll I'll put links to all that in in our show notes. And then my closing question that I ask all of my guests who are parents is: What is the best thing about being a parent?
2: One thing. Well, I would say. So my son, funny enough, he was born in 2011, but he is a nineties kid. And I, I would have to say that the best part of being a parent is just sharing different experiences with him, whether it's, you know, going to a soccer game or watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or listening to like red hot chili peppers or anything. We just, we enjoy life to the fullest together. And I laugh because I see myself in him so much. And I know it's hard for us to remember when we're a kid sometimes, like this is to all the listeners, you know, as parents, we are operating from this new perspective of adulthood. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we still feel like a kid at heart, don't we? Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like, who let me be an adult? Who let me be an adult? (laughs) And interacting with my kid and having these experiences just reminds me that being an adult is a state of mind and that all of us are kids at heart. So yeah, I think. The short answer is doing life with him. That's the best part of it.
1: That I, I see. That's the thing. I love asking that question because of of doing this podcast for over a year now. The range of answers I get are incredible and always unique. And um, yours is just as unique. So <laughs> I
2: bet thank you. Karen, Thanks for having me on the show, Paul. This is great. Yeah,
1: this was this was awesome. I hope the audience gets as much out of this as, as I did because this was an incredible conversation. And I I look forward to probably many more conversations to come with you, Karen. Thank you.
2: Definitely, definitely. Thanks, Paul.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit Tamacapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.